You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. Back on The Pipeline Show, we'll kick off this week's episode uh, in uh, in fine order as we uh, head out to Ontario. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, he's uh, always everybody's CHL insider and uh, he's my CHL insider this week. Sam, welcome back to the program. How are things? Yeah, great to be back, and uh, I'm spoiled this week. I got camp ten minutes away from the house. It's been uh, it's been a real treat, especially with the uh, with the two a day sessions. Oh, that's great! You get to uh, wear your pajama pants uh, all the way to the rink, and then a, qu- <laughs> a quick change, and uh, you're off to work. <laughs> yeah, you got. It. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm wearing everything. I'm wearing the jeans, the pajamas, and the suit all in one week here. <laughs> all right, well, let's get right to uh, Canada's camp. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, first. There's a couple other items I wanted to get to, but um, so far, I mean, uh, the, by the time this airs, the team, I think, will be picked. When's the announcement actually come? Friday? Well, I think they want to have, you know, 90% of it done by Thursday. Aiden Dudas is a guy who's injured who, um, you know, there's some concern about him, so he won't play in any of these games, but they do feel that he has an opportunity to be ready for Boxing Day. Right. And then, of course, you have the NHL guys. Uh, the December 19th NHL freeze um, will impact those guys. Of the three that are left, they say Barrett Hayton has the has the most chance of coming back. I'd say probably slim to none for Doc, and I'd probably say about a 25% chance for Dobson. Of what you've seen so far in camp, and full disclosure for the audience, it's Wednesday as you and I are talking, so there'll be a couple of days that happen uh, after our conversation uh, before this uh, this podcast comes out. But uh, what you've seen so far, uh, early reaction to what you've seen on the ice, uh, what stood out for you? Well, you know, it's been really interesting because the first practice, the you know, the team practice in groups of five, and I was looking now, I said, this might be a Russian practice here, because the <laughs> uh, you know, normally you got your defenseman in black, and then the lines are are varied by by color of jersey, but it was different. They were practicing in groups of five, which was a little bit of a departure from what I'd normally seen. And then in yesterday's practice, they kind of split the team sixty forty, but about midway through, a few of the guys switched jerseys, so. To get any sort of determination in terms of line combinations and and that, it's been a little tough so far because it's been disjointed based on some of the things they're trying to establish here early on and lay some foundational work that they can carry forward to them once they get to, uh, you know, get overseas. Read your story uh, recently on uh, sportsnet.ca about the camp and uh, looking at some of the positions in a net. A couple of guys who have a lot of experience playing with Hockey Canada in the past, two guys and Joel Hofer and uh, Nico Dawes, who don't have any, but boy, it sounds like a lot of fans uh, or people have become fans of Nico Dawes this year and the way he's played in the O. And, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, uh, there's been a couple of returning guys. Cam Hillis is healthy this year, Montreal prospect. Uh, Pavel Gogolev has been dynamite. They've kind of carried the offense, but every single night, this guy's given him an opportunity to, to win hockey games. And, you know, he sat behind Anthony Popovich last year. He went and lost 25 pounds in the summer. He redistributed some of his weight, weight and strength on his frame, and he's come into this year with a with a boatload of confidence. So him being invited to this camp is is deserved. It's a bit of a departure from what we've seen in the past, based on guys having a lot of uh, program of excellence currency. He has none of it. So uh, I applaud uh, Hockey Canada and the selection team the selection group for for inviting him and i think he's got a real opportunity that he's going to see some ice overseas i I truly believe that the other part is the analytics and 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 again you know i'm i'm a little bit wishy-washy on the analytics thing but the analytics say that he's been uh, arguably the best goaltender in the chl all season 
Interesting. Uh, Olivier Rodrigue, Hunter Jones, the other two who do have that background with, with Hockey Canada. We'll see how that plays out. When I look at the uh, the blue line group that's here for Hockey Canada, one thing stands out. Well, Kevin Ball stands out because he's six foot six. But outside of that, generally speaking, they're fairly average sized defensemen. A lot of, lots of mobility, lots of puck moving, but uh, maybe a bit of a departure from what we'd see five, ten years ago where it was big bruising, a sort of punishing a blue line for Canada. And that's that's kind of just indicative of the way the game is now, isn't it? No doubt. And that's the way they want to play. They want to move pucks quickly. They want the back end to be mobile, D to D, and then get up the ice in a hurry. So that's the that's the planning here. That's the idea. That's how uh, Dale Hunter wants to play. And I think he's got the personnel to, to play in that vein. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think size is much of an issue. Having said that, you know, Ball does a lot of good things with his reach, with his size. Uh, that others on this blue line can't do. And the same can be said about uh, Braden Schneider as well. So it's going to be interesting to watch those two guys. The way I see it is probably one of them makes it and one of them doesn't because I think they do a lot of similar things. Hmm. Ball is the older player. He's got his head coach, um, Andre Tournier, on the bench. So he's got a big supporter there. And Schneider comes in kind of young and free and probably at the start of the year didn't expect this to happen. So he might be playing a little looser, a little freer than, than what Ball might. That's going to be interesting. But I think of the two, probably one of them makes it. Speaking of young, what are there, five or six draft-eligible guys uh, in camp right now? Yeah, well, I think I think all told seven first-year guys. I mean, if you include Lafreniere, who's a returning player. Right. Uh, but you look at Perfetti, Drysdale, Byfield, Schneider, Zeri. Uh, who am I missing there? I'm missing one or two more, but, uh, of that group, uh, you know, very, very impressive, uh, list, list of players. No question about it. And it's, it's been fun to watch these guys kind of come to the rink and kind of fit right in. Um, and it's, they're going to have some interesting decisions to make here moving forward with, with this young group, no doubt. There's, I mean, traditionally it's kind of a 19 year old tournament, but we've seen years where it's guys in their draft year who dominate. I go back to Helsinki and that year seemed to be in 2016. It was dominated by guys who are, were draft eligible. Could that be a case here for Canada this year? Or do you expect the leaders to be the older guys? Well, I think the leaders are going to be the older guys, but I think you're going to see some significant contributions from some of the younger players. I think Quentin Byfield is a guy that he doesn't necessarily have to play in your top six to have an impact. You know, he's good in all three zones. He's responsible. He's decent in the circle. And he's a guy that with his size and reach has skill that he can, he can be a hurtful guy in the bottom half of your lineup. And I think the other thing about Byfield, we'll have to see if this comes true in these games here, but he may have uh, some positional versatility that no doubt will help him because I do feel that this team is going to be strong down the middle of the ice, especially if Barrett Hayden gets left back. Uh, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet is my guest, CHL Insider. Now, there's four guys in Canada's camp who are college guys. You don't get to see them play all that often. Jacob Bernard Docker, Peter Dilaberatori on the back end, as well as uh, Alex Newhook and uh, the uh, Dylan Holloway, who's at Wisconsin draft eligible this year. Have those guys made an impression on you? Were, uh, they, I've always kind of felt that they're a bit behind the eight ball in terms of games played compared to their CHL counterparts, but... Uh, do they have a chance uh, at this camp for you? Well, I think Jacob Bernard Docker, who won't play tonight, um, you know, he practiced this morning. So I think there's a real good opportunity for him. Della Veritor, I just don't know enough about. Uh, Newhook, I know they went in and watched him late. His game has started to pick up of late. He's playing a lot better. So he's going to have an opportunity to probably play lower in the lineup. Uh, and when it comes to Holloway, they like, they really like what he brings to the table because 
He's an energy guy, can bang and crash a little bit. There's a lot of really interesting pieces to his game. And even playing against older competition, which is something he's going to face at this tournament, he's excelled uh, in that in that role playing with Wisconsin. So he's going to be a real interesting guy to watch for me. But I think Bernard Docker of that group of four has probably got the best chances, and I'd say based on being scratched here uh, you know, for this game uh, that we're talking about here on uh, on Tuesday would give me a good indication. Sam, it's Wednesday, by the way. Uh, Sam, uh, yeah. I'll be all right. Big, yeah, <laughs> big news out of the OHL yesterday with the restructuring in uh, North Bay and, and Stan Butler no longer behind the bench, and I think he's been the only coach that franchise has had. Um, that is definitely big news. What did you make of it? Well, you know, Stan's been at it for a long time. He had some health issues uh, last year where he wasn't behind the bench for, for a period of time, and I haven't had the chance to catch up with him yet. Um, in, in terms of how or if he's been able to, to kind of take care of that end of things. But I suspect that that played uh, part in the decision. Again, you know, I don't want to guarantee that because I haven't had the chance to speak with Stan yet. I wanted to let things kind of settle down. Mm-hmm. But the other part of that, Adam Dennis has been around a long time. He was a recruiter for the Ontario Hockey League. He's more than capable of being a general manager based on his playing experience and his uh, AGM experience. Um, and the other part of that is Ryan Ulan is the guy who started his coaching career there with Stan Butler. He played for Stan way, way back in the days when the team was in Brampton, you know, went on to Flynn. It didn't work out there. Uh, I think there were some issues that he, he needed to sort through, and it looks like he sorted through them. But everyone I've talked to about Ryan says that he's a good coach, and it might just be time where Stan is able to kind of take a back seat, be able to call his shots and schedule a little more and allow some of the younger group in terms of Adam and, and Ryan to really push this uh, franchise forward. I mean, last year is the first year that I can remember that that franchise didn't make the playoffs, and I think that was a you know a bit of a telltale there. Sam, we're back after uh, now with part two of this conversation. Uh, you've seen a game now tonight. Uh, anything stand out in Canada's uh, win over the U Sports All Stars? Well, it's great competition. The pace was awesome, especially in the first ten minutes. Uh, but you can tell that some of the U Sports guys are bigger, heavier. They leaned on uh, on the Canadian guys at times, but that's exactly what you want. You want that great competition because you're trying to make evaluations in, in a shorter period of time than you normally have to do. So that's the thing that stuck out to me is just how how tight the competition was. It was sort of what I expected. I'd seen a lot of those players play previously. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to spend some time with the eSports group on, on Monday night as a guest speaker. So I was really familiar with what uh, what they were doing and what they were going to bring to the table. It's a good addition, of, of, in my opinion, to the to the uh, Hockey Canada camp, having that all-star team. I know they've done it kind of different versions over the years, but I, I like the way they do it now. You, w- you would agree that uh, it poses a, a pretty good uh, um, measuring stick for Team Canada? Oh, awesome. Like, like really, really good. You know, you're, you're talking about um, having to play against um, guys that are taking away time and space, and that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. And I think early on, I mean, Dawson Mercer, you know, 48 seconds into the game, tries to make a touch pass that would work probably 10 out of 10 times in Drummondville. Instead, this thing gets picked off. It ends up in the back of their net right away. So that was a little bit of a lesson. I thought he struggled with the with the pace a little bit, and it's not that he can't play at that pace. Mm-hmm. It's just that I think he was a little bit overwhelmed by it. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how he rebounds in the uh, in the game on Thursday, no doubt. How'd the goalies do? Yeah, the goalies were, I think, average. Um, you know, the second set of guys didn't get in until the 750 marks. So that would have been Jones and Dawes. 
And then, of course, they were able to get a little bit of additional time with the full four-on-four play and then the shootouts thereafter. So I thought they were okay. And the assessment from Andre Tournier, who spoke on behalf of the coaching staff today, thought that they were, um, you know, wanted to look at some more tape, but uh, he didn't go on and say that any one of them was great. He said he thought all four were, were good, which which to me is a little bit slightly, uh, I guess, overstated, you know. All right, well, we'll see how the camp fleshes itself out. Well, let's get to some of the other stuff I wanted to uh, address with you and um, the, the whole topic of hockey culture. And I'm sure you're hearing a lot about it at, at where you are. We've seen the, the ramifications already, having followed, uh, well, certainly at the NHL level, uh, Swift Current uh, fired their uh, trainer slash uh, head equipment uh, manager not that long ago. And, and there's people that say, yes, the NHL is bad, but for, for coaches that have, you know are hard on players or abuse players, that there's much bigger issues at the junior level. I don't see it personally, but I'm not in the room. I'm not on the bus with the team, so I, I'm not in a position where I would see it. But you cover this. Uh, you cover the CHL uh, as much as anybody. Uh, what's your take on uh, on that thought about hockey culture at the junior level, and and if if there's a lot of uh, cleaning up that's going to have to happen? Well, you know, I think a lot of this is framed in that period 10 to 13 years ago, which is where some of the allegations have stemmed from when it comes to the national hockey league. So if, if you're talking about that period, you know, 10 to 13 years ago, was it worse? Yeah, of course it was worse, but you know, CHL has made huge strides and it's had to make huge strides. You know, part of, um, you know, the ongoing litigation um, has made the, the, the CHL really pull up its socks in terms of the ed- education packages, all the support that it gives its players in terms of uh, mental health support, the ability to, have hotlines and, and essentially be able to, to go to anyone beyond the team and into the league if incidents that they feel are out of touch or, or not fair or not just, um, you know, are, are happening. But, you know, it extends beyond that in terms of the physical training, um, you know, the coaching that's available, the equipment that's given to all of these things are, are way better than they were 10 to 13 years ago. And I wouldn't have considered it bad when I first started doing games even 15 years ago. You know, the one thing you can say about it, I'm sure there are things that still happen. I'm sure there are a lot of disgruntled players who didn't feel that their lot with their particular team or in their particular league during their careers felt that they were underutilized, underplayed, not given a fair shake. And I think that happens anywhere in life. It's not just exclusive to, to what we see in junior hockey. So for people to go on and make those statements, Maybe in a time frame of 10 to 13 years ago, I, I might buy it. But as it currently stands, I'd say absolutely not. And I think those people should better educate themselves on what the Canadian Hockey League has been doing in order to try and become a, a much better, safer, supportive place for, for its players and for its club members. I think it's safe to say that uh, just society in general has changed a lot over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, let alone you know the 80s and and things that happened back then, how how much we've changed as a culture, um, and I guess the hockey culture would be part of that too. So, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not shocked to hear about stories. It's it's if I was to hear a story today that would surprise me. And I guess we did hear a, a hazing story out of the queue uh, from uh, one of the import players whose name escapes me, uh, but that happened a couple of years ago, according to him. And and but hazing, that's that's player on player more often than not. I mean, it's not a coach telling a player to go do something to some kid, right? Right, right. And, 
you know, some of that, um, obviously, um, you know, if brought to the attention of the team, that's obviously something that, that they need to take care of. And I right. think in, in a situation where that is brought to the team, then it has no choice but to go to the league level for whatever discipline needs to be levied out to those involved and to the organization for, you know, for allowing it to happen under their auspices. So, again, I think people are, I think they're, a little out of touch when it when it comes to the junior game. I think that it's an it's an easy punching bag because of some of the stuff that's been put out there as a result of the litigation, mm-hmm. uh, and it becomes a you know the low hanging fruit, if you will. But um, you know, I challenge the people that are out there to go and educate themselves better and find out just how far the CHL has come in terms of the things that we talked about, the mental health support, um, you know, all the support that team teams are getting. A lot of them even have now their own sports psychologists. So if they're having issues inside the game that maybe don't extend to their lives at home and so on and so forth, that they can get help in that regard too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been league policies put in place, the, the drug testing, all of these things are, are there to, to kind of support the player. So I would challenge the people that are, you know, making those, those overtures to, to really hunker down and educate themselves a little better. And by no means, Guy, am I saying is it perfect? Uh, you know, nothing is perfect in this world. Yeah. But there tends to be the spotlight now that's going to be magnified here for a little while based on what we saw in the National Hockey League level. And just as it is with the play, with the style of play, players, you're going to see those things trickle down from the National Hockey League to the CHL. That's just kind of the way it works. But, but again, you know, with what I've seen over the last, the 15 years of me being around it it's changed significantly yeah and i think some of it it gets a little hazy for me when it becomes a question about uh, how a coach uh, handles a player verbally and 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 where somebody might claim it's verbal abuse or, or or something like that you know i think everybody knows sexual abuse is wrong racial stuff is you know racism is wrong you can't cross those lines but when you're Trying to motivate, and I mentioned this with uh, Alan Miller, the GM of the uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors last week, uh, chatting with him about you know Tim Hunter's an old school guy. You, as a coach, you're dealing with 23, 25, maybe 30 personalities in a dressing room over the course of a season, and a coach that's been around for 20, 25 years. How many different personalities are you trying to juggle? And I, I, I make the comparison. I have two kids. Sometimes I have to parent them differently because one reacts differently to the same sort of uh, when you're trying to explain something one way to one kid, it's different. They re- they hear the message differently than the next kid. As a coach, I, you know, the, the comparison I'm trying to make, just that's got to be really tough to, to handle that many different personalities. And sure, you know, you tell me to pull my head out of my ass, that's one thing. But you t- say that to the kid next to me in the dressing room and he might feel completely different about it. And a kid on the other side of the dressing room might feel a different way about it. I don't know where you draw the line when it comes to verbally trying to motivate somebody and, and what crosses the line. Yeah, and the, you know, and uh, you're right. Everyone's line is different. But I'll say this. I mean, listen, you're going to face adversity in life, and there's no better vehicle to teach life lessons than within the, the framework of sport. Hmm. So there are some things here that we're trying to teach people at this level because a large majority of them are not going to play professional hockey as their career. So we need to be able to teach things. And how do you teach things with a little bit of adversity? Yeah. You know, but, and the next thing I'll say on that topic is I think one of the great arts in, in the, you know, on the profession of coaching 
is being able to find out and identify how to push the buttons of each of your respective players. Mm. It's a skill. You know, I think in the old days, everyone was painted with the same brush. You know, all the buttons were, there was one button that was pushed that applied to the whole group. We're going to yell and scream at you until you do what we tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And we might go over the line with some of our yelling and our screaming and some of our language, but you're going to do it. Doggone it, you're going to do it. So I think that's changed. So, you know, moving back to a guy like Alan Miller, it's incumbent upon Alan Miller uh, that when he's hiring people to work in his organization, that he goes and does his due diligence. Does this guy have the ability to be able to manage a group of players in a group setting individually? Can he push the buttons of various players individually and maximize the potential of each player? Mm-hmm. As a player, I, I want to be, I want to reach my potential. I can't do that on my own. That's why I have a coach. That's why I have these support systems around me. And yeah, I might be a little sensitive at times, but you know, let's have open, honest discussion and dialogue about these things. So, you know, I, I just used Alan Miller as an example because he's the guy you spoke to recent, yeah. recent most recently. Yeah. But if I look, I'm looking at, you know, Brad Tree Living, for example, whether he ends up going with Jeff Ward, to, you know, um, beyond this year, it's going to be incumbent upon him now to probably change his hiring practices. And he admitted this much. So he's going to have to go in and do some due diligence on the, on the person, on the background, but also as a general manager, he'd want to find a coach that's going to be able to push the buttons of each and every player and not necessarily do it with one stroke of a brush. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the genius in coaching and that's the genius in hiring a coach as well. Well said, Sam. Um, one last thing you mentioned, the ongoing uh, litigation of facing the CHL. Uh, recently, I think it just uh, last week or earlier this week, the Alberta government has uh, actually done every what every other province in the country has done and, and a couple of the states where uh, it's an issue as well. But they've uh, legislated that the, the players are all student-athletes and uh, are amateur athletes, so the whole paying thing, I would have assumed that that was the end of it, but apparently the litigation continues. Do you have a feeling on, on where this is going and how much longer this is going to go on? Well, I don't, and it's been it's been you know uh, the Alberta ruling obviously sort of brought it back to the to the fore uh, a little bit, um, but you know anytime you get lawyers involved, the uh, the quick fix isn't necessarily what lawyers are looking for. Yeah, that's not what makes lawyers money. The longer they're on the clock, the more they get paid. Yeah, and yeah, there's some pro bono stuff going on, but at the end of the at the end of the rainbow somewhere, someone's do to make something out of this one way or the other. Yeah. When I'm looking now um, at, at what's gone on here, um, where it exactly stands, I don't know. But when province after province is starting to agree with what the CHL is saying in terms of these players being rendered amateur athletes and student athletes, I think at some point mm, we've got to kind of get the picture, get the point here and, uh, and understand uh, what's gone on. Now, you know, I, I think I've, I've said this in the past, you know, the flip side of that is, all right, let's move forward. And if we're in a situation where you have to pay players, you kind of got to be careful of that too. Because unfortunately, what's going to suffer are some of the, the support programs that are currently in place. And it might not necessarily be the off-site support, which is supremely important. I don't think that would be affected much. But in terms of, hey, how many sticks are you going to get a year? How many sets of skates are you going to get a year? Um, 
how many coaches are going to be um, able to be afforded on a staff. Mm-hmm. So there's such a huge dichotomy between the bottom end of, you know, some of the teams that are, that are losing money every year and some of the teams that are making a lot of money. And I think it's brought forward as some of the teams that are, that have been profitable, but by the same token, those teams aren't going to have competition unless they're playing against some of the teams that aren't necessarily profitable. So what the motivation is for some of the teams that, that aren't making money, I, I don't know enough about the business side of it to say, but at the end of the day, province after province, state after state is ruling in a certain fashion that supports what the CHL uh, has brought forward. And I think, you know, like everybody else, we should understand and abide by the law. And although we may not disagree with it, uh, we may disagree with it. It is the law. Well said, Sammy. I really appreciate your time uh, once again. Uh, thanks for doing this a, a couple of times over the course of uh, one day. Uh, enjoy the uh, the rest of uh, Canada's camp. Uh, what's the next uh, CHL game that uh, you and RJ have? Yeah, pretty interesting. We're in uh, Hamilton on Saturday, and that'll be the Shane Wright-led Kingston Frontenacs against the Arthur Kaliev-led Hamilton Bulldogs. So right. uh, pretty excited for that matchup. It's two teams that are a little bit on the, on the on low part of the cycle, but I think they're evenly matched, and anytime you get to see an exceptional player such as Shane Wright and a player who's played exceptionally well, such as Arthur Kaliev, you can sign me up for that any day. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one, and I believe I saw that uh, there is a stop in Edmonton uh, on your broadcast schedule uh, just in, in January, isn't it? Yep, Jan 5th will be there, so I'm uh, looking forward to getting out there uh, You know, to see the Oil Kings. They're rocking and rolling right now, and um, yeah, the Riley Sawchucks, the Jake Neighbors, the Dylan Gunthers, the Matthew Robertsons, uh, and of course Brad Lauer. Looking uh, forward to, to seeing how that group has come together this year. Looking forward to it, Sam. Thanks for your time. Okay, take it easy. I'll talk soon. Here's Sam Cosentino from uh, Sportsnet. You can tell in that conversation, I even said it uh, halfway through. Uh, this is part two of the interview. As I mentioned in the first segment of the show today, perhaps you're only hearing this individual segment. I did that interview in two chunks, once uh, on Wednesday morning, once Wednesday evening after the uh, the uh, Canada's game against uh, the U-Sport All-Stars. Um, so that's why it obviously sounded a little different because he was in two different places and uh, we had different things to talk about. So that's uh, that's why the uh, difference there. So it was basically two interviews uh, spliced together. Appreciate uh, Sam's time. Um, w- w- first thing, one thing I want to say, uh, how about uh, some credit for the U Sports uh, teams? And uh, I know I saw Kendall McFall uh, tweeting, a former uh, WHLer, former uh, Saskatchewan Husky. Uh, tweeting, uh, man, it'd be nice to see a little respect uh, from the mainstream media uh, about the quality of U Sports. As listeners of this show know, I've been talking U Sports a lot this season. Have added it to the regular rotation of of subjects and guests uh, to the uh, the pipeline show this year. Uh, for that same reason, I think U Sports is vastly underrated and uh, want to give it more attention. And uh, so, good on uh, U Sports uh, uh, splitting the series, the two games with uh, Canada's national junior team. Second thing, really scary incident uh, in the Ontario Hockey League yesterday. Um, Tucker Tynan, goaltender for the Niagara Ice Dogs, uh, had a collision with a member of the London Knights and uh, took a really serious laceration. Looks like it's on his leg. Uh, There's a ton of blood on the ice, and it looked to me like, and I'm not a doctor, but it looked like it was on his, uh, like on the upper half of his leg, so above the knee, but below, probably like where the pad uh, and the uh, the pants kind of there's that gap. I know there is a knee pad that goaltenders wear, but 
Um, there was a ton of blood on the ice, and I've seen the video. Of, there's a few videos, and saw some of them on uh, Twitter uh, just a moment ago. Actually, a really scary situation. Glad to hear that uh, he's already recovering. That the, he had surgery. Quick action uh, by uh, both training staff uh, for Niagara and the London Knights, and the doctors that were all there, and the paramedics. Uh, that is gruesome and uh, scary. Uh, and glad to hear that uh, uh, the surgery has uh, worked out well. And uh, hopefully uh, Tucker can get back to action uh, and, and continue having what was already a really strong year for him. And he's draft eligible this year. So uh, really w wishing the best for Tucker Tynan, guy who is on my short list to get uh, on the show. Uh, we might have to wait a little bit, to, obviously, to do that now. Um, but uh, scary situation for sure. Wishing him all the best. Let's continue on with the show, and up next it'll be our In the Dub segment. Andy Eide from 710 ESPN in Seattle is my guest. He joins me next here on the Pipeline Show. Minnesota selects as the first pick in the 1988 entry draft from Prince Albert, Mike Medano. Hey, this is former Prince Albert Raider Mike Medano, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Go Raiders, go! Go Raiders, go! The green, white, and gold theme is Go Raiders, go! Take on the roughest and welcome the toughest. But the song in Prince Albert is Go Raiders, go. 